Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. It's 1 through 35. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching. On, he was approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. And he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses 
who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. And it sounds a lot like uh, the woman at the well. Give me that water that I never thirst again. Now we have food or bread that will never make us hungry. Um, I shared just a moment ago um, that it's dangerous when you start naming people because you always leave somebody off. And I don't know if you were paying attention, but my wife was mouthing across the room at me. And then she had to spell out letters with her hand, sign language. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that I left Derek Miller off of the list. Uh, Derek came as an intern, ended up going on staff, had every possible position in our church, even pastored our Patterson community for a number of years before the Lord called him to pursue the priesthood in the Episcopal Church and is leading a church in Ellicott City right now. And I'm sitting here thinking, all right, so he's, we, we would never have survived the first like nine years of our church family if it wasn't for Derek. So if I have forgotten anybody else from 2008, um, please forgive me. Uh, and with that, let me ask you guys, where were you in 2008? I know Andre asked, but can somebody just tell me? Like, where were you in 2008? North Carolina, North Carolina? all right. Moving to Baltimore. Oh, wow. All right. You've been around a while, too, Crystal. That's great. 15 years ago, where were you? College. In college. All right. I'm old. Um, others of you, where were you? Somebody going to say high school. How many of you were in high school? High school? Middle school? Six. Anybody less than that? Sixth grade? Anybody? Anybody in 8th grade back in 2008? Anybody in 12th grade? Anybody a senior in high school 15 years ago? All right. Oh, wow. All right. There we go. A couple of you. Hey, there's no shame in that. That's great. I'm happy that uh, you were. Um, but I am I'm thrilled that we, 15 years later, are here together. And I'm also very thankful that when we planned out this teaching series through the Gospel of John, that John chapter 6 fell on this Sunday. Um, a lot of times the danger is, is when you, you, you sense God asking you to do something that you, you, you lose sight of the fact that if he asked you to do it, that he's going to orchestrate the steps in the process. Um, and so we didn't choose this text for today. We actually planned this series back before Easter and we're looking towards what the Lord wanted you to learn. And I am so thankful that we fell on this particular text because John is showing us signs because the people in the passage are asking Jesus for signs. The side conversations are, is he going to give us another sign? And so what John has done in his writing style, so for those of you that are, are following on, you're reading a chapter every week, so you'll read chapter 6 over and over again this week and chapter 7 over and over again next week, you're going to find that part of John's writing style to an audience that includes Jews and Gentiles, very important, we don't lose sight of that, 
Because a Jewish culture, you can write to one way because they're going to have been raised in that culture. They're going to understand all of the, the colloquialism, so to speak, the things that Jews would know that a Gentile may not know unless they were in a close relationship with a Jewish family. But in that first century world, there were not many Jews and Gentiles in close relationship unless you were one of the Jews that never returned from exile. And so you were a Jewish family in other parts of the world, which there were millions of them around the world. Uh, but here we're finding that what John is doing is saying to them, you want a sign? I'm going to write my letter based upon giving you signs. So he starts out in chapter 2, and he literally calls it out in verse 11. Jesus did this miracle of turning water into wine as his first sign. And then it's weird because he jumps a chapter and says this is the second sign, and then he comes back and, and implies a third sign. And then after that, he's like, you know what? I've given you enough. You're smart enough now to pick up on the fact that I'm staging seven signs throughout my letter. And so he's, we, we've already covered him healing a, a lame man last week. We covered healing a nobleman's son um, as well. We didn't spend a lot of time on it, but it was in the text you were reading. He cleansed the temple in Lana's teaching when she spoke to us a few weeks ago and turned the water into wine. So today we're finding that he's feeding a multitude. In a couple of weeks, he's going to heal a blind man. And then a couple of weeks after that, he's actually going to raise Lazarus from the dead for the last sign that he gives. But truly, I just want you guys to understand, there's not a person in this room that is not looking for a sign. Okay, there's not a one of us. Like, we should be able to relate to this passage of Scripture and the longing in the heart of people to see a sign to confirm in them so that if I take a step of faith or if I do anything to believe, like, can you at least give me a sign? Like, we're all Gideons at heart. Like, we're going to put a fleece out the door and say, if I wake up in the morning, there better be a six-pack of Coca-Cola sitting on it because that's what I need in order to know that this, actually for me, it'd be a ground bag of ceremony coffee. Like, Lord, would you please put that on the front porch? And if I wake up in the morning and it is there, it hasn't been stolen off my porch, <laughs> then I'm going to know. And by the way, God, it better be the mass blend of, you know, uh, or, the, or the, the, the Peruvian blend. Like, there's some, like God, if you, just, if you could just make it that specific, then you're going to have all of me. Like, and a more alert me because I enjoy the caffeine that comes along with it. But we're looking for signs all around us. It's just a part of who we are. But here's the deal. The majority of our faith conversations are internal. The majority of us are not talking to other people about our faith. We're not wrestling in our faith with others. The majority of us are wrestling with internal struggles of our faith. And so at best, it is a subliminal conversation with God. Because many of us, even when we pray to God, we don't actually speak out loud. It's like telepathy. Like, I'm thinking it, God's hearing it, he's thinking it, I'm hearing it. And it's like some sort of lunar radar. And so you put aluminum foil over your head at night because you don't want the Holy Spirit to talk to you so you can sleep, right? But yet, so much of our faith needs to become more verbal. But I just want to tell you guys this. When I was looking through John chapter 6, I see God saying, I can even give you internal signs. I can confirm this with what's going on inside of you. So let me go back 16 years. 
16 years ago, um, I finished a job as a high school pastor at a church just north of Atlanta in uh, kind of like the Marietta, Paulding County, Georgia area. If any of you know that particular part of the country, my family was living in a community that could only be called Villa Rica, which is like, I don't even know what that means, but there was a Villa Rica, Georgia that we bought a home in. And when I left the church the first week of June in 2008, we took about eight weeks as a family where as my, my son was three, getting ready to turn four, my daughter had just turned eight, and we were um, spending the summer together. Actually, she was seven. He was four. He was four? All right, sorry, I'm a year off. Math was not my forte. All right, but, but thankful. You, don't you love the live editing? It's sort of like when you're typing and it just changes it for you. This is my wife's responsibility in my life. She's my live editor. So as my kids were helping us, I decided that the best thing for us to do before we made such a big move was to spend significant amount of time just with them. And so every single day for eight weeks, we just talked about an adventure. We just talked about what God was doing. We just talked about some things that just we could see on this horizon. And it climaxed in August of 2008 when we were moving ourselves to Manhattan, New York, the, we, 47th and 10th Street in Hell's Kitchen. We had a friend that had an apartment there. They were going to let us live in rent-free, which, by the way, what kind of friends are those, right? Um, that... We were partnering with some churches up there because I had never lived in a city before moving to Baltimore. We only knew suburban life. So we went in and, this, and we were basically de-suburbanizing ourselves. Like we were detoxing. We were getting used to public transportation. We were learning that you can't get your full groceries in a week and carry them back to your apartment. It was just too heavy. By the time you got back to your building, if you weren't already pulling muscles, by the time you went up your four-story walk-up with no elevator, a gallon of milk and some fruit and vegetables and a bunch of bananas, like, it's just too heavy. So we learned to shop two days at a time. Plus, our New York refrigerator was about the size of my iPad stand, right? <laughs> and so we just learned very quickly that things were different in the urban context. But the first day that we were moving in with our children to, the, um, to Manhattan, to our apartment, we were coming through the Lincoln Tunnel, and this voice in the back seat, which was my daughter, took a deep breath and then said, well, today's the first day of our new adventure. Powerful words spoken. She was working on her prophetic gift well before she was even aware she had it. And as we were coming through the tunnel, my wife and I had the same response because there was a sign greeting us on the other end of the Lincoln Tunnel, and we immediately did everything we could to the back seat to keep our kids' eyes from seeing it. Because not every sign is appropriate in New York City, in many places around the world. And as we had these young children in the back seat, and we were excited about being in New York, we were like, hey, look over here. And it wasn't because we wanted them to look over here. We didn't want them to see the sign that was over here. And there were so many things that we were just like, oh my goodness, we are now out there. And if you've ever spent any time in New York, you know that they are advertising things everywhere all the time. And they put so much into it. And not just at Times Square. 
I mean, yes, Times Square is like the epicenter of advertising. Like there is so many billions of dollars that go into advertising just on that one section of God's green, well, God's asphalted earth, you know? And so you find yourself um, looking around at all these signs and I just want you guys to understand, I truly believe that God is equally trying to get all of our attention. We, many times, have a chosen blindness. We choose not to see. Just like I was riding with one of you this week and we were talking as we were setting up and there's been so much going on in the church life over these last couple of years that they were asking me how we were looking forward to this 15-year anniversary Sunday. And I said, well, we're choosing joy. You know, we, we know that the response for today should be joy. But sometimes you have to go get it. And then you have to bring it into your life and say, like Andre was encouraging you, what have you seen God do over the last 15 years? And that's been a great exercise for our family this week because there's so many things that we look back on that we were just like, oh man, that was incredibly painful. But right now I'm choosing to focus on the places where I've seen God break through the barriers that are broken around us. But God, I believe, is trying to get all of us in this room and anybody that will ever watch online and anybody that you ever touch, I think he's wanting to get us all back in line with him. And the story of Jesus going through John's letter, if we go back to John chapter 1, is to get us all to realize that God has been a loving creator since day one. God has been wanting to establish a relationship with his creation that was untouched by sin and death. But we now have a world that is just full of sin and death. And because of that, we project or we accuse God of so many evil things that God has not done. We've done them to each other. We're the culprits of the brokenness. We're the ones that should be judged guilty. We're the ones that do each other harm. God is not this vindictive, supernatural power that Romans base their gods upon. He doesn't force us into sin. He doesn't tempt us to sin. He doesn't try to make your life miserable so you turn to him. Those are other gods of other religions that people are following all over the world. And in Jesus Christ... John is saying, you want to know who God really is? Here he is. No questions asked. This is him. And so in John 6, it says sometime after this, which is coming out of John chapter 5, in all of the ways in which he was working and moving and interacting with people, he's now crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. And then he says this, the, the great crowd, like before Taylor Swift could generate crowds, right? Jesus was drawing crowds. I just want you guys to hear me when I say this. He could not go out in public without being mobbed by a crowd because people wanted to see signs. And he was giving them signs that he was supernaturally special giving them signs that things that they knew about in the Old Testament were coming true in him. And they were trying to make sense of it. So much so at the end of this passage, they wanted to like forcibly take him and establish him as rule. And he had to sneak away from that because that wasn't God's will and way to 
execute his judgment on the earth or to say, I am going to use force to impose my will upon people. Jesus had a sacrificial journey ahead of him. And it says that he had performed many signs and healed the sick. And in verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Can I tell you this? Jesus, in his humanity, got tired. He got tired and had an interaction with the woman at the well. He's now getting tired of the healing and the crowd interactions. And he's trying to have a sweet moment with his own disciples alone on the top of this mountain. Can you sense the moments in your life where you just want to be with just a few people? Where you are, you are so tired of trying to please so many people or you're so tired of the pace of life or you're so tired of working at Hopkins Hospital or you're just, you're just so overwhelmed by the struggles of so many things that you just want the safety of a few and you're looking to take a deep breath. But look at what happened to Jesus. The Jewish Passover was near and so as Jesus was sitting down, it says that he began to look up and he saw. He looked up and he saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him. For he already had made up his mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered, it would take more than a half a year's wages. Do you guys have that, friend? Like, totally literal. <laughs> like, you know, it's like they, they do the math. Like, wait a minute, I can't hang out with you in two weeks because I got da 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 Like, nothing is ever simple. It's just logic, you know? And it comes out as logic. Let me, like, he's, he, would, he would score a perfect score on a math test on the SAT or any type of preparatory. And he says, to buy enough bread for each of them to have a bite. So let me stop there just for a minute. They saw the signs. They followed Jesus, a crowd. He wanted privacy with his disciples. And then in the midst of it, he looked up and he saw the crowd. And then he tests Philip. So let, me, let, me, let me talk to you about that. He looked up and saw. Jesus sees. Some of you just need to hear that this morning. Nothing else I, I need to say is really going to be relevant to you other than the fact that you need to know that Jesus sees. He's looking up. He knows you're in the crowd. He knows what you need, and he knows what he wants to do for you even before you even ask. He knows. He sees. But some of you in here need to hear this. He tests. And some of you are like, I don't like the fact that God tests me. Or I don't like the fact that he's trying to trip me up. Can I tell you this? Jesus isn't testing you to trip you up. Jesus isn't testing you to make you feel stupid. Jesus is testing you to know what you know. He's giving you content. He's given Philip and Andrew and all the other disciples content. And in this moment, as he's looking up and he's with his disciples, he's like, okay, over the last several weeks and months, we've been dealing with this content. Let me find out how Philip is going to respond in this situation because I need to know if Philip gets what I've been teaching him. This isn't an act of meanness on Jesus' part. Jesus is just being an excellent teacher. Several of you in here are teachers. Several of you in here used to be teachers, and you realize how hard it was to be a teacher. 
And, and, and so Jesus is looking at his disciples right now and he's saying to them, what kind of maturity do you have? And like J- James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in his letter that called James, in chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that the, the testing of our faith, like it's implied that it should just be understood that we, as we grow in maturity following Jesus Christ, the only way we can prove to ourselves or prove to other people is when we pass tests. And it's hard sometimes because some of the tests aren't on the good sides of the fruits of the Spirit. Like, I would love to just be tested to be compassionate and gentle and kind. Why would I want to pass a test of long-suffering or endurance or patience? But in order for those fruits to grow and for me to understand what those fruits are, I've got to allow a test to come my way so that I can say to myself, look, Jesus, I got it. I understand. Look at, look at what I've been paying attention to. I'm, I'm, I'm mirroring myself after you. So Jesus, I want you guys to hear this. For Philip and for Andrew and for his other disciples, he's trying to get them to change what they see. He wants to get them to change what they're looking at. They were in a content moment on the top of the mountain, but Jesus was the one that looked up and saw. The rest of them were like, forget about all those people. Like, let's just have our moment. He wants to instill in them a compassion and an empathy. He wants you and I to begin to see people the way he sees them. And I can remember when we were in Charlotte, North Carolina. This was literally 20 years ago because this is where my son was born. When I saw something for the first time, I can remember when we were in Houston, Texas, about a year later, where I saw something for the second time. And I can remember very specifically where Ginger and I were in Villa Rica, Georgia, when I saw it for the third time. And then I had to admit that I had seen it. I couldn't say to God anymore, I don't see it. I'm not, I'm not going to, I can't, I can't deny it, God. I've seen it now three times. And then after I saw it in Villarica, it literally was like a Pandora's box opened up and I couldn't stop seeing it. Numerous times after numerous times. And what I saw was in Charlotte and in Texas and in Georgia was the fact that churches were closing in the Northeast of the United States of America. People were mass exiting Northeast, New England states and places north of the Mason-Dixon line, up the 95 corridor. And can I tell you this? They were all buying houses and moving in next door to me in Georgia. One of our neighbors lived in Brooklyn, New York, sold her condo there after she inherited it from her family for obviously a lot of money because she brought two, two houses on our street. She lived in one and rented the other. And she's like, I still have money left over. And I began to start looking at the map and I started looking at denominations, not just the Catholic church closing parishes. I was looking at other denominations from Baptist to Presbyterian to Methodist to Episcopal and and how all of these churches in this dense, do you guys realize that still a third of the U.S. population lives on 95 between D.C. and Boston? A third, there's 300 million people live in our country. That means 100 million people live on, just try to drive somewhere 95 today and you'll realize that you live in a very densely populated part of our country. 
But God just started hitting me in Charlotte with these images of his church in an area, specifically in the dense parts of our country, the density where people lived in close proximity. And I couldn't unsee it. And so when you see it, there is an expectation that you are to do something about it. I need you guys to hear me. When you see it, when you begin to become aware of something, Jesus isn't opening your eyes to something, even though he has a plan to fix it. He's not saying, I'm just going to make you aware so that it's a sign for you. Oh, wow, look, I did nothing. Look what Jesus did. He's opening up our eyes because he wants us to be aware so that we can join in to that expectation. Jesus is saying to his disciples there, as well as I think he's saying to us here, I need to shift who you are. I want you to act like me and begin to do and act with your eyes and your responses like I do. I can't help you to be who you are unless you learn to respond to what you see. This was Jesus to his disciples on that mountain. This is me to you and to everybody that has ever filled these seats in our church over the last 15 years. It is my responsibility. And if you were to ask me, what is probably the number one thing that you feel like is your responsibility right now to do in Baltimore? And my response to you is, I just need to help you see. Because if you can see the power of God on display in Jesus Christ. And if you can see that that just isn't good news for you, it's good news for others, and you begin to live your life aware that he wants your eyes to see what he's doing, and then for your responses to be like his responses, then the church of Jesus Christ in Baltimore has a chance that, that something special could change here where churches aren't declining, where communities aren't tearing down old church buildings or turning them into art museums or apartments or into like in Fells Point, there's an aerobic studio now in one of the old churches. It's like so many things that are happening around us. If you and I can learn to see, we're gonna be so much better off. If we cared about the people that were walking around, I think there would be a lot more people in Baltimore that would truly believe that God exists. There are so many people in our city that don't think that God is really real. And the reason is, is God has opened up his eyes of his church and we do nothing. People are not believing in God because they're tired of seeing people do nothing, especially people that would claim to be Christ followers. And so, what is the thing that God has let you see? What is the thing? I'm not talking like this isn't the prince's story anymore. This is your story. What is God opening your eyes to? What is he asking you to allow him to engage with with you? Because in reality, you saw it and you can't unsee it. Will you trust God to meet you in it? And will he give you what you need? Absolutely. He was testing Philip so that he could see the lack of compassion in his life or to help him expand his understanding of how God works in this world. Jesus cares about the heart more than he cares about the facts. That's why I love how Andrew follows up. Look at verse 8. 
Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Can I tell you, some of you, this is for you now. Some of you have seen it. Some of you know that there's a resource out there and it's time for you to start talking. It's time for you to start speaking up. Andrew hijacked a boy's lunch. Many times when we tell this story, we tell the story like a little kid works his way through the crowd. And it's like, here, Jesus, would you bless this? And then Jesus is looking at his disciples like, oh, you fools. But no, I, hear, I look at it this way. Andrew's like walking through the crowd. He sees a boy with some small fish and some small loaves of bread. And Andrew's sitting there thinking, look what Jesus did last week. Look what Jesus did two weeks ago. Hey, Jesus, look, this is a boy. I'm stealing his lunch. This boy thought he was going to have a good lunch and listen to you, but I'm going to take it from him. And I am now going to say, Jesus, what can you do with this? What are you going to do as a sign of who you are now with this for all these people? Are you stuck, church, because you think you don't have enough and you are waiting for God to give you more? Are you stuck because you're just waiting? He'll just give me a little bit more, then I'll, 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 I'll engage. It won't be quite as big of a risk if God just gives me a little bit more. Like, this is the week, I'm teaching this the week after somebody in Florida won a billion and a half dollars. And I guarantee you that person was sitting around saying, well, God, if you just give me a little bit more, I'll do something. And so the 300 disappointed Americans that didn't win is like, well, God didn't give me anything, so I guess I'm just going to have to wait. But where were the Andrews last week going around saying, God, I've got this small little thing, and I'm not waiting till I get lucky and win the lottery. I'm going to give you what I have right now. How much would our faith increase if you and I would give him what we have. How much are you, how, like, right now you're struggling in your faith because you're holding on to your little. Now imagine Andrew's faith in this story when he saw Jesus start passing out the bread. Imagine Andrew looking like, what? Those things were like, they were smaller than a Panera baguette. Like, <laughs> You're just like, there's just no way this is going to keep going and keep going. And Andrew's sitting there like, look, he's breaking up the fish. You know, I mean, imagine what it would have been like for Andrew and the little boy. Like, this little kid just didn't disappear. He's sitting there like, look at my lunch, man. It's like, what? He's sitting there. I mean, how long would it take Jesus to like sushi that thing up and start winging all those pieces around? So much so that people had what they needed. You and I are... are, are are stunting our faith growth because we're not offering to Jesus what we already have. You're missing out on a sign that God is with you and for you because you are holding on to what you have. And you might not have anything, but you're not even like an Andrew going around saying, what can we scrape together? Small loaves, small fish. Are we holding on to something small? It's crazy what God can do. Listen to this. It says in verse 10, there was plenty of grass in that place. I don't know why John put that in there, but I think it's just because if you understand the Jewish world, it was rocky. They were on the edge of a mountain and Jesus wanted the people to be comfortable while he fed them. That's the only reason why I can think John would add that detail in there 
Because when you see the topography of Israel, there's not a lot of grassy places. But even in the midst of this act, Jesus was going the extra mile. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Here, listen, as much as they wanted. This is for another group of you in our church. How much of Jesus do you want? Are you getting what you want? Are you, are, are, you, are you literally desiring to have a stronger relationship with Christ? Do you want more of him? Do you even know in your spirit what it is that you're even wanting in your faith? I just will tell you this. If you start to go after what you want in Jesus Christ, you're going to find that he's going to give you more than you want. But if you're not going after what you want, you're not going to realize that you could have it. So many of you have started praying this year. You've started reading this year. You've started seeking after the Lord, and it is like a well of water springing up in your soul. It is like a meal that never quenches, no matter what you're facing. So let me jump down on the story here just for a minute in verse 30. It says, so they asked him, what sign then will you, like, they need more signs. Like, are these not Americans here? Like, okay, we need more signs. What signs then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written. And then mind you, they're saying this to Jesus with a full stomach. Like, we're like, wow, man, a couple of fish and some bread. Man, that's great, great meal. And he says, and it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread not realizing that he'd already done it. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And if you jump down to verse 57, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Guys, are you, are you, are you feel like you're dying in your faith? Do you feel like your faith is on the verge of death? Eat. Eat. You, like Jesus is right there on the table. You're choosing not to live. You are choosing it. It's, yes, the church has made it difficult to want to think that Jesus is an attractive meal. Let's confess that. There are a lot of people out there that don't want anything to do with Jesus. They think Jesus is bad for them because they heard somebody else talk about him. And it's supposed to be his people. They've seen it. It's like, ah, uh, you know, that's why Paul told the church in, in Corinth, you need to have the aroma of Christ on you. If not, it's the stench of death, right? And so it's going to be our desire to walk down to the first floor in a few minutes and become overwhelmed with the smell of good food. And we're going to go down there and be like, oh, man, this is great. I can't wait. You know, and you're going to notice that there's a, a freezer full of ice cream. There's, uh, you know, brownies. I, you're going to be drawn to stuff like, man, that looks good. Can I tell you this? Jesus is the best thing that you could ever have. And you need to stop blaming other people. And you need to say, I am going to feast on him. 
I am tired of being hungry. I'm tired of being thirsty. I'm tired of being overwhelmed by my life in this world. And Jesus is sitting here right now with us, and he's going to be with you wherever you go, even if you choose not to eat right now. And he can be with you tomorrow or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday, and you can just say, finally, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to eat. I'm tired of dying in this world. I want to live. And he's giving us that opportunity because the one who feeds on him is going to be the one that's going to be able to keep living. That doesn't mean like a lot of my pastor friends who will stand, or not necessarily my friends, but other pastors like me will stand in pulpits and tell you that if you give your life to Jesus, all your problems are going to go away. Now, if that's true, I haven't figured that out. That's just not been my story. But I can just tell you guys this. Jesus is enough. He will get us through. Under Armour was not the originators of the only way is through. Jesus was the one that started the only way is through. And Jesus promised us no matter how dark it is, he's going to go with us through it. No matter how joyous it is, he's going to go with us through it. No matter how abundant it feels, he's with us through it. No matter how um, like parched and weary it feels, he's going to be with us through it because he makes himself available to us and he wants us to know him and to love him. So you're like, okay, what does it look like to feed on him? Let me tell you an example from my, 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 my immediate family, but we have other family members in our family that their lives are revolve around amusement parks. They love amusement parks. They plan their vacations around amusement parks that they've never been to, and they always return to the ones that they love. But not only do they love amusement parks, they find people that have no life, I mean, that, that take and develop YouTube channels to tell you how to have the best experience at the park you're going to. So they literally watch videos of other people telling them how to have an experience at that amusement park. So when they get there, they know how to buy food, what places to avoid, what, what, what order to go to the rides in to maximize your day because they are eating to be well-fed so that when they get to that amusement park, they have all the energy and all the knowledge and all the encouragement and all the strength and they've already wrestled through all the hard decisions so that when they finally get there, they have an unbelievable experience for everybody to be jealous on their social media feed. <laughs> so you want to know what it's like to eat on Jesus? You need to put some work. You need to do some work. You need to wake up and pray. You need to learn to read. You don't have to read lots of the Bible. You can just read a few verses and say, God, this is my, my heart's desire is to know you more. You can start with a little book of the Bible. Like even the last couple of weeks, I've been telling you, if you want to understand the story of God, just read the first four chapters of Genesis, the first four chapters of the book of Romans, and the last four chapters of Revelation. And just read that every day for this next month. And you'll get the full picture of what God's done, what's happened to us, what Jesus did about it, and what it's going to look like in the future. You don't have to read a lot. You can read a pamphlet of the Bible. But you and I have to start to do something. It's just not going to happen. There's not a, a doctor that's going to shove a feeding tube down your throat and force feed Jesus to you. That's what many of us want. It's for somebody, okay, I don't want to put any effort in. Let's, let it just happen. Let me just put myself in proximity to the church and maybe I'll catch it, maybe I won't catch it. It doesn't get caught. 
It's taught and it's practiced. It's tested. It's chewed on. It's swallowed. You drink it in. It's a full experience. So if you today are one of those folks that are with us and you've never been all in with Jesus, I just want to say to you, today is the day that you can eat. And the best way for you to start that process out is just a simple one-sentence prayer that just says, Jesus, I give you my life. All we need to do is to say to him, Jesus, I give you my life. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for the signs that you are from God. I thank you for the ways in which you've loved and cared for me in ways I don't even know. But you don't even know what you don't know yet. And all you need to say is, I just know it's Jesus. And because of Jesus, I'm just going to give you my life. And now I'm going to start a relationship with you where I'm learning and being tested. I'm learning and being tested And I am looking forward to growing into full maturity in you. But the expectation isn't full maturity today. Let us get more mature as each passing week goes by, each year goes by, because we've been eating on what we've been given. The disciples had been watching Jesus perform miracles, and Philip still hadn't learned compassion for others. Some of you, this week, maybe the Lord's going to let you see somebody you need to be compassionate towards. Some of you probably already know, you don't need to start looking. You've already felt the conviction. But the rest of us, we need to let our eyes be open so that we can see what it is that he has for us. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're getting ready to come to the Lord's table. Um, And Jesus did, as his last act with his disciples, leave this table. And this table was left because he wanted uh, to have a physical expression So that they could literally have it as a reminder, not just as a religious practice, but as a way of saying, let's remember what Jesus did. Jesus had his body broken. So what what did Jesus say? Oh, here's bread on the table. Let's break it to remember Jesus. Not the act of breaking the bread or the fact that somebody's already pre-broken the bread for us. But yet, it's Jesus, and it's Jesus, and it's Jesus. We're coming to the table to remember that he was the one that was broken. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. So that you and I could lift up our eyes and see what he sees so that we could allow our bodies to be broken, that we could allow our blood to be poured out. Sometimes that's just metaphoric. And sometimes it's literal. And I know some of us with the different ages and experiences, some of the metaphor and all that might... Our life is to emulate Christ. And I'm loving you best when I'm sacrificing myself for you. But the problem is we have a church now that is so used to being sacrificed for, we've lost our ability to sacrifice ourselves for others. We are so thankful that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. But there's nobody thanking God that you sacrificed your life for them. Did you catch that? Who is thanking God right now for you? Because you have sacrificed. You have been a living Christ to them. That's what the Lord's table is for. And it doesn't matter if you have been a good sacrifice now. But this is us saying, let's, let's just reset. Let's remember what Jesus was all about. And what you and I are supposed to be about. And let's go all in with him. So as we sing, I'm going to invite you to come to the table together. And when you get to the table, you can pick up the bread, you can dip it into the cup, and you can wait and look at each other. And then here in this moment, you can look at each other and face, and this is his body broken, and this was his blood poured out. 
And then you can take and eat it together. Then you can re- remind each other of the mystery of our faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. Now, some of you have been getting slower and slower and slower to get to the table. Come on, let's get there. Let's be excited about doing it. This isn't just religious ritual. This is us saying, thank you, Jesus. Help me to be reset in you. But if you need prayer, we're going to have people standing in the back that have prayer lanyards. Um, they are here to pray for you. Go up to them and say, hey, I need prayer. Some of you might need to say, would you pray that I see what Jesus wants me to see this week? Others, you might have something on your heart that you need them to pray over. Please go to them and let them pray for you. Father, I thank you for your body being broken and your blood being poured out for us. I thank you that this little meal that we're getting ready to have is going to lead to a much larger meal after church where we can truly celebrate that we get to be the church now together. We're wanting to remember all the blessings. We're wanting to shout the joys. But Father, we're going to start with the first blessing, which is Jesus Christ. We're going to start with the way he broke himself to free us from sin. We're going to start with the remembrance of the fact that he loved us first. And Father, I pray that we can be a loving responder in this world, like Jesus set an example for. Father, when you look up, would you be looking up through our eyes? We want to see what you want us to see. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.